0: joy can override the worries and depression here are your hosts carmen nazario and josh carter welcome everybody to the veteran founder podcast i am your host josh carter carmen is out for the summer however comma we have a great special guest co-host this week it's cynthia Ko. cynthia welcome
1: thank you great to be here
0: I am so excited. You uh, you help out a lot with uh, Operation Code, which uh, you and I help out uh, for for that organization. And you're a founder. We're gonna get you're gonna have your own episode, so we'll spend a lot of time talking about you. And I can't wait to get into that. So I'm I'm thrilled you're here. Thanks. Um, If you are new to the show, welcome. Every week we get to talk to amazing founders who just have one little extra thing on their resume and that's service to our country. And this week I'm excited because we're talking to somebody that I've known for years. He's well known in the veteran space. Ian Faison, welcome to the show, sir. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Uh, Excited to be here. I, dude, I'm thrilled. I mean, you and I have, uh, you know, we've interfaced a lot in different realms and circles. Uh, so, but this is the first time I get to sit down and we get to, you know, really dive in uh, to your story.
2: Yeah, I know it's crazy, right? We've known each other for a while. And, uh, and uh, first time doing this uh, with you is is fun. And uh, we do a lot of pod- podcasting here. So uh, I, I know, uh, uh, I, it's exciting to be on the
0: other end of the uh, conversation. Yeah. So I think Cynthia was going to kick us off here.
1: Ian, do you have anything, um, any stories you want to tell us about how you got started at West point and why you decided to go into the army.
2: Yeah. So I, uh, I don't like, uh, boats or planes too much. And so it kind of narrowed it down. Um, I, uh, I didn't really know what West point was. Um, I was a sophomore in high school. My dad, uh, made it, uh, pretty far in his military career to, uh, PFC, uh, and, uh, never got past that. And so he, um, uh, when, when I was young, I didn't really know too much about, about the army, but he would tell stories every now and then. And so when I was a sophomore in high school, he, um, he was like, Hey, you should think about, uh, you should think about West Point. And my uncle was also in the army, um, who lived in New York. Uh, we, we, flew across the country and went and checked it out. And I thought it sounded, uh, pretty
0: interesting. And so the, uh, the
2: rest is history.
0: When you say the rest of history, there's a lot more to that, but like, what was <laughs> the process for you to get into Westbook? because you gotta get, there's an endorsement piece to that, right?
2: Yeah. So yeah, you have to get nominated. So I actually, uh, I was nominated by, um, um, by Barbara Lee, um, which, um, which was, you know, a, a process in and of itself. And so, you know, growing up in Oakland, um, it was, uh, it was super, you know, cool to see, uh, you know, coming from Oakland going to going to West Point, there's not a ton of people that do that. So, you know, just being nominated and everything was, uh, uh pretty cool process. Um, and, uh, yeah, I kind of had, you know, growing up, I, I was kind of like the, the perfect, um, candidate for West Point. Like I wasn't, I wasn't like a genius or anything like that. I, I just was, uh, I had good grades. I took a lot of hard classes. Uh, I played football, um, and, uh, and track and, um, a bunch of sports and I was an Eagle scout. So, you know, it's funny. I, uh, I remember I was sitting down with my, uh, the, my, um, the, basically the person, your admissions rep. Yeah. It was like, if you get your SAT scores up, uh, you're, you're probably gonna have a pretty good chance. Um, and so, yeah, it was just, uh, it was, it was fortuitous. And I think probably Eagle scout stuff helped and, you know, playing team sports and all that. So it, uh, it worked out.
0: One side note, cause I grew up in the East Bay as well, not to, and this, this is no way a political endorsement, but I love Barbara Lee, just so you know, she's such a cool. Yeah, she will. She's so, you know, it's a funny thing.
2: I mean, she's the only person who voted against the war in Afghanistan. So it was a pretty interesting thing. Um, you know, by the flash forward to 2011, when I went to Afghanistan, um, you know, it's a, uh, it it was an interesting, you know, time in uh, America, obviously. And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's fascinating to see how, you know, West Point's pretty unique in the fact that it's so you have that political element to it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, her office was, uh, was, was a bunch of pros so worked out
0: nice nice
1: how is it moving from west coast to east coast
2: yeah never fun uh i was definitely a a a northern california kid um i didn't love uh the cold i didn't love i had been to new york a bunch my mom's from brooklyn so i'd I'd been i go to i would go to new york every year so i was pretty familiar but um Yeah. It's, it's just hard. You know, all your friends are going to college and, you know, you're going to a military Academy and I don't think I necessarily fit in super well, uh, in terms of like, you know, initially being, I I talk a lot, uh, as evidenced, uh, by my profession. Um, so I'm not really good being quiet. I'm not really good standing still. So a lot of the things of, uh, I, I, got a lot of C's in my, uh, military grades when I was at West Point, Um, never, never, uh, never was great at, uh, at at that sort of stuff. But, you know, it's funny because like all of the things that, um, kind of made me a a bad private made me, uh, or or not a bad cadet, but not the, not the most disciplined cadet. Um, all made me a great officer because, uh, you could really understand, you know, what it's like to be a soldier and try to eliminate a lot of the barriers that your soldiers have, especially if they do, if they have strengths and weaknesses that aren't necessarily like a perfect fit for, um, Uh, for one thing or another, like, you know, there's, there's no such thing as like kind of the perfect soldier. So I just used a lot of that. And as an officer to try to figure out, like, how can I get the most out of my soldiers? You know, and is is one of those things that I think looking back, um, what's really interesting because in the, in the civilian world, uh, you know, you get to choose your team, but in the military, you don't, you just get given your team. And so you really have to focus on getting the most out of them. And, you know, as a startup founder, it's like the exact opposite of that. Actually, it's like, you can, uh, you can really be selective. You can, you know, hire, slow, fire, fast, you can do all these different things. So, um, it's just a very different kind of skill set. of, uh, yeah, you, you have what you have.
0: And when you were in, in, in the Army, what was your job? What did you do while you were there?
2: Yes. Yeah, so um, I, uh, I was uh, AG, which is the uh, the Great Adjutant General's Corps, uh, the second branch of the military after infantry. Um, and uh, uh, so basically, I did human resources, casualty operations, um, and uh like strength reporting stuff like that so i was a Mm -hmm. battalion s1 as a lieutenant uh i was a brigade s1 uh when i went to afghanistan and uh and then i was um transitioned to uh assistant brigade s1 and then i was a brigade s or then i was a battalion s1 again in uh southern california recruiting battalion
0: yeah and when when you got into out, out and you were deployed what surprised you about that what what if anything surprised you you know what's funny i
2: mean there were we were so ready i mean our our train up for second brigade fourth id was was really long we had just uh our unit was um one of the most dep- deployed brigades in the army uh and so you know basically they had just got back from iraq and uh when i when i came to the unit in um in 2009 and so um we had a lot of just really seasoned uh you know soldiers and officers and NCOs and so mm-hmm. we had a really long ramp I think it was like maybe 18 months to deployment so I mean I you know I went to NTC or excuse me a JRTC like four times uh mm-hmm. doing different stuff so I felt really prepared um for deployment you know West Point did a lot of that stuff too uh, from just like getting your mindset, right. Um, you know, being deployed when you're AG, when you're like a brigade S one, like I was when I went down range, I mean, it's a really weird job. Uh, I was a Lieutenant at the time as a major's job. And so for the first couple months, um, I was like kind of way fish out of water, like briefing colonels in general, stuff like that. So really unique position based off of, um, just kind of how things played out. And so, uh, yeah, I I mean I was at a it was a very high level position for someone who um you know I think for my kind of skill set worked really well. You know, I wasn't uh running around and and uh uh in convoys and doing stuff like that every day. We were at right. Camp Nathan Smith in the middle in the middle of Kandahar. Um and uh, you know, sitting at the fob making sure that uh all of our, you know, Battalions had had the soldiers they need. That ca- casualty operations were running flawlessly. The thing that I would say surprised me the most. I got really good advice when I first got to Afghanistan from one of the folks that we were backfilling. Um, that said that basically, like in our world, um, there's a lot of like rubber balls and there's a lot of glass balls, and you just have to know which ones are which. A rubber ball you can drop and pick it up again, but a glass ball you never can. And so since I was in charge of casualty operations, like there's, you know, I think the U S army does a better job of casualty operations than, you know, any, any military in, in history. And, uh, the reason why is because we have a really, really detailed process to do that. And, um, that was one of the things that really struck me of how, uh, you just can't get it wrong ever and that was the first time in my life where it's like you had something that was, you one you had to be 100% accurate. Like there was no, no mistakes being made, no, nothing like that. And so it's, you know, obviously the most, um, difficult part of, uh, of being in the military. And so, uh, you know, to have casualties happen around you and you have to be, have a really professional team to be able to deal with that. So, you know, I think navigating that, uh, that really serious, difficult, you know, position that we all deal with, but also keeping your team, um, you know, adding levity, adding humor, you know, being able to have, uh, you know, have your folks work, um, you know, and not, not, you know, just always dealing with, you know, the most difficult thing is, is kind of a tough balance.
1: Yeah, I was going to say there didn't seem to be much of a buffer zone for you landing and and adjusting. You know, it's just like you have to quickly uh, adapt and and rely on your training. And, you know, one of the things you mentioned, humor and adaptability. How did you keep your team cohesive and um, resilient during this time? We had
2: uh, we were really lucky. We had a lot of really good NCOs um, in that I worked with um, and, uh, and a really good warrant officer um, that, you know, had, had been in, had been an E7. So, um, we just had really sharp NCOs. Uh, we had like, I think like four E5s that were just all really, um, really hardworking, but they all didn't take life like too seriously. And so we had a really good crew. Um, but you know, we worked at it. I mean, it's like, you know, it's long hours, you know, you're working you're working 14 hour days every day, you know, you don't get days off, um, you know, ever. Uh, and, uh, you know, for me, I was working, um, additional hours just cause I had additional responsibilities and stuff I had to do. So, um, you know, I, you, you had to come up with things you had to, you know, we had our fantasy football league and we had, you know, all sorts of different stuff that we would try to try to do. Um, but, uh, you know, we tried to do as much team building stuff as we could and let people, uh you know you know get time but um you know we spent a ton of time in, in preparation to go deploy together and i think that that just like by the time we got there we're we were kind of rocking and rolling i will say though you know spending a year with people for every 24 7 you know you you obviously get in fights you blame people you you do all sorts of stuff we had a great uh case study that I haven't written yet of like night shift versus day shift and night shifts and day shift used to fight all the time. And so we made a rule, like you can't ever blame the other shift. And so then we, sh- we switched all the people around from night shift and day shift. And then they started blaming the same thing again. I'm like, you can't blame night shift. You used <laughs> to be on night shift. And so, uh, you know, we had, to, we, we tried to like, mix it up as much as we could like get people to, to get into grooves. But we also did a bunch of stuff for our soldiers of like getting them back into school, getting them, you know, enrolled in classes, like doing stuff like that so that, uh, you know, like I started, uh, you know, trying to write a screenplay and, you know, we spent a ton of time at the gym. I mean, we were, we worked out a ton, our group, um, but trying to find like outlets so you don't just go there and, um, and, and feel like you wasted a year of your life. Uh, and I think that that was one of the things that I think helped too, is like people were making progress. They were making rank, they were doing that stuff. And we were, you know, we, we were, you know, had a huge advantage compared to a lot of our peers who, you know, didn't have, you know, internet access all the time. And obviously our profession kind of required that, but for, for other folks that were, you know, way out on cops and fobs didn't have that. So we try to, you know, spend a lot of time taking care of uh, those folks and, getting, uh, getting their awards and evaluations and everything squared away too.
1: Yeah. It definitely sounds like when you spend, uh, when you spend that much time with people, you either end up hating them and never want to see them again, or you grow that camaraderie and you become like family. Um, so do you still spend time with, uh, some of those folks that you spent, you know, your deployment with?
2: No. So it's funny. I, you know, I, we, um, we don't have uh we don't have a a text thread or something like that i should i should revive it and uh and try to reach back out to everybody it's um hard. i've stayed up with yeah it's it's really i mean really, you know, life happens but i would love to i mean they're one of my favorite groups of people on earth so mm-hmm. i should do that
0: uh how long were you in ian uh
2: so i was in for five you know so west point for four and then i was in for five yeah.
0: Nice. And you transitioned out, uh, in California, like you, your last command was in, I think Mission Viejo is what you say. And then, uh, and then you moved to the San Francisco Bay area. What was that transition like for you?
2: Yeah. So it's weird. Right. I, um, I I was down in SoCal, um, and, uh, um, yeah, I met a girl, uh, and, uh, and uh always the story yeah right (laughs) um but uh i moved back home and she eventually uh moved back to the bay area as well um but we um yeah it was a really weird it was a really weird transition i think everybody's transition is weird Uh i knew a ton of people in tech because all my friends were there um that i went to high school with and i'm still close with all my high school friends and so I, i knew a lot of people in tech but you know, nobody, when you're, um, when you're that age, you know, when you're 27, you don't really know, you know, nobody really knows what they're doing. So, you know, I spent, I might like tap classes and all that stuff. I just spent it on the phone talking to as many people as I could, just trying to get a understanding of what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be like in and around tech, but I didn't really know what that meant. Um, and I knew I really wanted to go into sales, uh, and I loved marketing. Um, but those are the two things that you Nobody does in the army, so uh, you have no practical experience or, or job training in that. And uh, yeah, and I was I was lucky to get a job uh, at a company based in in uh, Pittsburgh, uh, Victory Media, who is uh, you know had a, a really deep roots in the military community and cr- creating media for them. And uh, so I was I was working in sales um, right out the gate, and my territory was the Bay Area. And so I got to build my network really fast with a lot of Bay Area companies that were trying to build veteran hiring programs, nice. um, and just get to know a lot of people who um, were in the military community. Yeah. And uh, um, it, it was it was hugely beneficial for me just to like get a group of people that you know I shared something in common with that um, could help to continue to translate what the experience was that you had in the military and now you know get up to speed on everything in the civilian world.
0: You've always had a, an entrepreneurial mindset, right? Like I, when I met you, I think was the first year of VetCon or the first year that you guys uh, did VetCon in yeah. Silicon Valley. And it was very clear that that program was meant to connect dots all around for veterans, for military spouses in the entrepreneurial community. What did you take away from your service in the military that helped you help guide you into that path?
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, you always hear people talk about how like they were always entrepreneurial and they always like did, you know, stuff like that. I, I did the same thing. I mean, I think, um, you know, looking back at, at my time at West Point, like I started, uh, you know, like a fan fan group for the football team and like fan group for the basketball team, stuff like that. So we could like travel to away games. Like I was always kind of in that sort of community building mindset. Um, kind of the same way, uh, uh, you know, in, in Boy Scouts, you have that same thing, sports you do. Um, so it wasn't about like products necessarily it was more about kind of like communities. Um, and so when I was at Victory Media I was working um, my my second job there I was on the marketing team working on strategic partnerships and so I did a really deep uh, you know dive into the military entrepreneur ecosystem because um, they have this brand vetrepreneur in this magazine that that focused on veteran entrepreneurs and so I, I just got really fascinated with like what makes a veteran entrepreneur different. Um, what is it that? What resources do we have access to that maybe other folks don't have access to? What does the ecosystem look like? Where are all the connection points? And so, um, you know, building VetCon was kind of this proof proof of concept of like there was this obvious need that Silicon Valley resources and capital and Deals and all that stuff were happening um, with a lot of people that were vets um, and could connect, you know, folks into that ecosystem. But a lot of vets are starting companies wherever they were, wherever they were from, or wherever they transitioned to. And so the, those two things weren't really talking. And at the end of the day, if if you're a startup and you just ignore Silicon Valley. It's probably not the best strategy. You don't have to like leverage it necessarily, but you need to know what it means and you need to know like when it's valuable and if it's a fit for you. And so what I saw was like this need to connect startups that are led by veterans all over the country to um, to Silicon Valley resources and just like connect those dots. Um, yeah, and that's what, that's what the first version of VetCon was. And then we did another... Um, uh, we did a smaller event, uh, that was just like a leader's event around like kind of some more problem solving, getting folks from the military involved, uh, like an ethics and leadership summit. Um, and it just like, was super clear to me that there wasn't, um, there just wasn't enough connections. I, you know, Josh, you and I talked about this a ton at the time mm-hmm. that it's just like, it's so difficult to build something and it, and it's so lonely. Mm-hmm. And if you have, you know, battle buddies that are, that are doing the same thing, um, you know, you need to do that. And there's great like nodes in the network like Brandon Shelton of TFX Capital and, and, um, and others that were really trying to like raise up that ecosystem at the same time. And so and are doing a great job of that still. And so, uh, you know, I just saw that it was such an obvious opportunity to try to figure out, like, how do we do that? And then at the end of that whole experience i had someone a mentor say to me and they're like hey you know at the end of the day you know like what the veteran community needs the most is rock star founders and like founders that are successful and yep. uh and that was one of the things that kind of hit me of like hey maybe i need to go down that road um myself
0: yeah i want to talk about the transition into what you're doing at caspian but i want to take a quick break uh You've been listening to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the StartupRadio Network.com. We're going to take a quick ba- break and we will be right back. This hour of the Startup Radio Network is supported by Bridges to Change. Bridges to Change's mission is to strengthen individuals and families affected by addictions, mental health, poverty, and homelessness. They use their voice and resources to stand up to all forms of discrimination, mass incarceration, barriers to health care, and inequitable economic opportunities. Bridges to Change's goal is to empower people to be self-sufficient and become members of the community, who in turn offer the same opportunities to help others. They strive to have everyone leaving their organization with stable housing, social support, sustainable employment, education, access to health care, family engagement, and goals for the future. To get involved, donate, or to get help, make sure to visit wwwbridges changecom Welcome back. We're talking to Ian Faison from Caspian Studios. Uh, We've been talking about the VETCON and transitioning, uh, but um, so much to cover. Cynthia, I think you wanted to cover a couple of things as well.
1: Yeah, there's some things that Ian said that definitely resonated with me. And that is like that transition period. You know, when you left the military, you're adjusting um, back to the Bay Area, you're um, trying to figure out your bearings. There's things that you definitely like to do in, in the marketing and media realm. And that's kind of my background too. And connecting people, and it definitely sounds like your passion then and even now is connecting people connecting um enterprises and connecting resources you know so one of the things i wanted to ask you was that at what point did it click for you that it wasn't about building a product necessarily but it was about building people
2: yes so you know i i think that um one of the things that people i i think overlook when it comes to like the startup entrepreneurship um is the um like the uh, the iceberg level, you know, in-depth discovery of like what you're trying to do, right? You do all of this research that nobody ever sees and then they just see, you know, you launching a company or, or you doing a thing um, as like, you know, that tip of the iceberg. And so I think, you know, for me, um, a lot of this, you know, the research that we did Uh, for vetcon really just like taught me how to build a community in general, um, how to build a, you know, a a modern media kind of channel. Um, because ultimately like that's part of what it is, um, how to build, uh, you know, that stuff from scratch. And so, you know, one of the things that I think you, you don't necessarily, you know, no, uh, someone once said, uh, you know, you don't, you can't connect the dots until you make all the dots. And I think that's like a pretty common mistake that I see a lot of, uh, entrepreneurs, you know, like myself make is like, you're trying to like connect the, to connect the dots, but you just don't have all of the experiences yet necessarily to do that. So for me, um, I had this experience at victory media where we were reaching, it was magazine, uh, print, uh, digital, multiple different websites that we manage, multiple different blogs, uh, all of this scale. And I would go to startup founders and like, go be like, Hey, how can I promote your company? Right? Like, what can I do to help you? Cause I have this massive reach. We reach all these people. Um, and we could, we could help tell your story. We could put your name in print. We could do this stuff. And so I just kind of looked at everything from a, how much I have this advantage. How can I help? Right. And so I spent a lot of time just like early in my career, just like connecting other people and trying to make sure like that those things were happening. Um, and then with VetCon, it was the same sort of thing. Like we were trying to just connect people to different things. And what's really funny is if you look back at like the group of, uh, the, the 10 like finalists that were at VETCON, I think like eight of those companies are still around, uh, and are all doing well and they've raised money. Um, Hmm. and that was, you know, that was a number, you know, whatever that's three years ago. So, you know, a lot of startups don't last that long. Um, but I I think that, you know, I I would take, you know, 0% credit for any of the success that any of those companies have had. But I think the idea though, that, um, that there was ways that you could really move the needle for people with one introduction, with one deal, with one thing. Um, and when I became a founder, I realized how much I wish I had that community because, um, it wasn't there. Like there was nothing, there was nothing there, uh, for me to be able to like tap into other than the stuff that I had already kind of built myself. And so, um, I, you know, I immediately went back to a lot of those folks, um, to support them and to say like, Hey, now I need a favor. Like, can you help me, you know, get a deal? Can you, you know, introduce me to this person on your LinkedIn and stuff like that. And, uh, and I think that because I had helped a lot of people, um, that they were able to like, say like, Hey, of course, like, thanks so much for, you know, getting me on, um, you know, getting me on the cover of that thing or, or, you know, introducing me to this investor or whatever it is. And so I I think that that's the thing that people really miss when it comes to just like, you know, startups or media in general. Like if you're always the person asking for stuff and never the person giving, like you have to actually put effort and energy into that. And when you're running a startup, like you don't feel like you're doing that. Um, Or if you're a corporate, you know, intrapreneur and you're the person who everybody's always asking for money, like you don't necessarily know that dynamic. But I think, you know, as a founder, you got to be empathetic and realize, like, you can't just constantly burn every single connection to try to get intros to stuff. Although it feels like you're drowning, uh, because otherwise it's like, you know, you're going to wake up five years down the road and be like, I didn't actually help anyone. I just kind of was helping myself. You
1: have the best connection. Sorry about that. No, no. i was
0: just say you bring, you bring up a really good point about the network effects, right? I think you touched on it earlier when, when folks are coming out of the military, they're missing this one key element if they want to be an entrepreneur or if they want to go get a job and that's, they don't have a network, a broad stroke network or robust network to draw from to, to make those connections. Right. So talk about like how important has that been for you as you're growing your business?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, the, by far the most important thing. I mean, we, you know, at Caspian Studios, like we, we have 10 podcasts in production right now. Um, we have, I've done probably, uh, almost a thousand podcast interviews in the last probably, you know, 30 months. Um, and like, I take it super seriously that when we do an interview, uh across any of the shows that we create that like this is that person's life story and like we're so we're a steward of a moment in time in, in their life and like you have to take that stuff really seriously and you have to like you know make sure that um it finds an audience you have to make sure that you go above and beyond for your guests or or your customers or whoever and like, I think that I was doing that kind of unconsciously earlier in my career, but I guarantee you that, you know, if you went and talked to, uh, you know, people like you, Josh, I mean, you could tell me like what your opinion of me was when we met, like, I hope that it was someone that was helpful and engaging and like trying to move, uh, you know, you know, be a rising tide to all the boats. And that's like really what I was trying to do. Um, and, you know, and not just trying to like, you know, get mine in and, you know, whatever that, whatever that thing is. And that's just a hard thing to do. It's just like really hard when you have a number on your head or you're a salesperson or you're an entrepreneur and you have to hit a number. The easy thing to do is not to, uh, or the easy thing to do is just ask people for money all the time. The harder thing to do is, is be able to say like, I'm, you know, I'm going to try to go use my bandwidth to help other people. And I, I mean, I hope I do a good job of that. I try really hard. Um, but uh, but it's not it's not easy.
0: Yeah. No, I hear you.
1: I think the connection is key, right? And I think the best products or the best ideas are the ones that you use yourself. Um, so I, I'm definitely hearing it's not necessarily like, "Hey, I'm going to set a goal to help X amount of people so that I can get something out of it." It's just a, a genuine, organic connection that happens.
2: Well, yeah, and relationships take a lot of work. Like that's the other thing is like you have to constantly think about. Those people. Um, you know, and the best salespeople in the world are the people who, you know, develop the richest relationships. Like it's not about the person. Um, you know, you see often that the best product doesn't win. It's like, yeah, the best customer service, the best customer experience wins. Mm -hmm. Um, Not the best product a lot of times. And the reason for that is like, you know, the product is one part of the experience, the sales process, the marketing process, you know, how they check in with you, how they check up with you. Like I try to, you know, keep up and I've done, you know, admittedly a worse job, you know, recently in the past, you know, 10 months. I mean, you know, obviously COVID aside, uh, it makes everybody a worse networker, but, you know, I've done a way worse job since founding Caspian at, at doing that stuff, because it's just harder to catch up to people when you're starting something brand new. Um, and so, uh, but it, it really does, you have to put like, be intentional about it. Um, and it's just really hard.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, one thing I ask of every every, every host is, as an entrepreneur, we make a lot of mistakes. Often. We make a lot of them. right? But what's that one mistake you made in your entrepreneurial journey that you went, I am never going to screw that up because it could have easily scuttled everything. What do you think that one thing is? And again, as an entrepreneur, you probably can point out a few, like, like I can, like Cynthia can. But what's that one thing that is just a, a life lesson you'll never forget?
2: Yeah, I think um, I think uh, I've you know made a lot, and uh, I think that people um, very often uh, overestimate the power of uh, of certain people's networks or nodes or things like that. That like how much when someone says they're going to help you, like how much they're really going to carry water for you. Um, and you know, first and foremost to that is investors, the biggest, the big, biggest mistake, um, that, uh, you know, I've made is like, you know, in the past, even, even thinking that raising money was a good idea. Right. Um, and this is totally different for a lot of different industries for me personally, from my experience, um, for us, we were selling a product, um, that, you know, the the same effort that we put into selling the product um, was actually easier than closing investors. So it's like, why would you go try to do that? <laughs> why would you go try right. to get investors to convince them of something that they would never buy themselves when you can just convince people to buy something uh, that, they, that they would love to buy? Mm-hmm. And so that was a huge mistake uh, you know, early on at my last company was just like trying to do that. Um, it's just never really, you know, and you, you don't know that at the time because, you know, to my original point, it's like, you think that getting these investors is going to unlock some network that like, you're going to be a part of, and that totally happens for some companies right. and for other companies, it really doesn't. Um, and so to like bank on that is really tough. Now, um, you have to have a network and if you don't have anything at all, then like getting investors and getting people that are in your corner that have a literal vested interest in you can be really powerful. Um, but for me, that was one of the things where I was like, you know, you know, getting investors, I'm like, why would I go try to get X amount of dollars when I can close a deal for the same amount? And it's easier because people like what we're selling. So, you know, that, that was a pretty big mistake.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Caspian Studios, obviously, you're growing and really, really rapidly. You just mentioned you guys have a lot of podcasts. Uh, where do you see this going in the next five to ten years?
2: Yes, yeah, so, um, so basically, Caspian, um, we are doing something a little different um, than folks would probably think than just by seeing like the word kind of podcast so what we're doing is podcast as a service specifically for enterprise b2b companies and so um basically what we see in the market is a clear need for a you know white glove 100 percent bespoke experience to create something brand new in this world that has a combination of creative production, uh, publishing and distribution all in one. And so our customers pay a fixed cost, um, either every month or every quarter, every year. And, uh, and they get all of that stuff included. And so I think that that's the reason, you know, why we've been so successful so quickly. Um, you know, like I said, we have 10 shows in production, our customers are some of the best, um, you know, technology companies in the world—folks uh, like Slack and Zoom and Box, Octa, uh, Snowflake—who just had the hottest tech IPO ever—you um, uh, know, Oracle and on and on, um, Dell, Intel—you know, a bunch of folks that that are really sharp technology companies. But I think that um, you know, for us, I, I think that what we really have seen is that like to build a great show, something that your customers love, that people love to be a part of is so hard. Um, And if you start adding in levels of complexity to that, like, hey, we want something scripted. Hey, we want something that uh, has historical elements. Like if you want something that sounds like an NPR show, um, you might be able to do five or six episodes and then it might peter out. But if you want to make something great that lasts, that builds an audience, you need to find a partner that can do that. And the way that I look at it is that, you know, each of those companies, uh, has a little Caspian studio that lives inside their company that is able to do all that stuff for them. And then they get to kind of be like the, um, the executive producer on the movie set, right? You get to show up, you get to, you know, eat the donuts, you get to hang out with the celebrities, you get to, you know, provide some notes, do stuff like that. You get to say like, Hey, maybe we should shift this around. Um, but uh, you don't have to do all the, all the dirty work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. Um, where can people find you? Yeah, you can, uh, you
2: can learn more at uh, caspianstudios.com Caspian studios.com. If you're a B2B company um, uh, specifically in technology and and you want to build a show uh, that's for your ideal customer profile, uh, go to Caspian studios.com. You can reach out. You can drop me a line at, at caspianstudios Caspian studios.com. Uh, and I'm, on Twitter, LinkedIn, everywhere, at Ian Faison. So uh, you know, check me out anytime.
0: Ian, I'm so glad we got to do this. And Cynthia, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here.
1: Thanks. It's been exciting. Um, Ian, it's been great to talk to you and get to know you.
2: Yeah. Appreciate awesome. Chatting you. with you both. Uh, great questions and, uh, and we'll talk soon.
0: Yes, sir. You've been listening to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Tune in every day at 1pm Pacific. Listen, learn, get shit done. We'll see you guys later.